Welcome to our second episode of the Future of Pay podcast, a show where we explore the concept of getting paid, why this is changing, and how it affects you. Today we talk to Rizal Bosch, a PhD from Cambridge and the Head of Education for SmartWedge. We dive into what it means to make an impact and why financial inclusion and financial education are more important than ever. Rizal, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for joining You've spent a substantial amount of time in higher education, from a master's degree in theology to being a volunteer for the Black Sash on human rights literature, studying to become an accountant, <laughs> and last but not least, doing your PhD in philosophy and theology through Cambridge. Can you tell us a bit more about what has brought you here to SmartWage? Hi, Simon. Thanks so much. That's quite a mouthful. Um, as you can hear, education has always been a central part of my life. I love learning and I love teaching. And in particular, I have a burning desire to make a tangible difference in the South African context. Previously, I worked in ver- at various places, including the University of Stellenbosch and the University of Cambridge. But I always had this real desire to um, come back to the South African context and address what I deem to be bigger problems. Um, now, whether we realize this or not, Not all South Africans have equal access to schooling, for example. Not all South Africans have equal opportunities. And here I'm thinking of financial mobility and and the opportunities that often come with having a household with a good income. And to my mind, a real problem is that not all people have the same capacity to learn. For me, this means not all individuals have the same space of mind to learn new skills while, while having to um, vie for, with competing interests. I love that. And I think, I think that speaks volumes about you know, why you're here and the role you play in helping to solve that problem. But um, I'd like to dive a bit deeper on that. Maybe we can start with some context. According to a, a recent survey done by the OECD, which is the Organization for Economic cooperation and development, Um, South Africa came last in a poll of over 30 countries and economies drawn from Africa, Asia, Europe, North America, and South America uh, when it came to measuring financial knowledge or or financial literacy. And and they said that only 30% of South Africans are classified as financially literate, which means that over 70% failed to engage in financial behaviors that, you know, enable them to improve their their financial outlook and their financial security. When you started at SmartWage, uh, you know, you, you knew the problem was big, but I don't think you understood uh, just how big it was and how difficult it would be to solve. Given your, given your extensive background in education, how do you think about offering access and opportunity to South Africans, especially when it comes to financial literacy? You're right, Simon. And I think this applies to most most South Africans. Um, We all know that South Africa has education problems, and we know there are debt problems in particular. The the stats speak for themselves. But it's only when you put this into context and speak to the 70% who the OECD classify as financially illiterate that we realize how big the problem actually is. So just to give you an idea about our users' demographics, um, we found that with the company we've recently onboarded, that 54% of our users users provide financially for between six to nine members of their household. Now, for one paycheck, that is an astonishing amount of individuals. 
We also found that 62% of our users fall short on money throughout the year. So if you think of the financial calendar, some of our users on the lower end were saying that they fall short five times out of those, out of that calendar year. And on the higher spectrum, we have users who fall short every month of the year. To my mind, that is a massive problem. It's really crazy to think of, of how big the problem actually is. It's, it's hard to quantify what that actually means. And I think for, for most people listening to this, um, I, I'm sure it isn't as real as, as, as you understand it to me. So maybe you can, you know, shine a little bit more light on, on that, maybe using one of the employers you're working with or, or some of, some examples you have. Sure. So we recently onboarded a large manufacturing company with over 4,500 employees. Now, management understood the benefits of wage access, but we're really keen on an integrated solution, namely rolling out wage access products that incorporates an education solution that actually makes an impact in their employees' lives. To give you some context, 80% of their employees um, are people who work on the floor operating machines and the average salary is just over 6,000 rand per month. Um, now, when we began working with this manufacturing company, it was just, it was another reminder of how real the problem actually is. You know, if you think about a 6,000 rand salary and you think of having to cater for 69 people in a household, and you might be running short financially each month, this really poses a big problem. And it's one that we obviously try to address. This is fascinating. I want to dive a whole lot deeper on here. You're only scratching the surface. So you're on the floor, you're talking to the people. What's the biggest thing you, you, you find out? What are the, some of the key insights that you can share that you've worked out that maybe you previously didn't know that drives some of the thinking behind how you build impactful education solutions? I think one thing that people often underestimate and which our team was really confronted with is the culture of shaming that surrounds financial problems. You know, you go onto a factory floor and um, you find individuals unwilling to disclose the information, which really is deeply personal and which ne doesn't necessarily um, make them feel great about their own financial disposition or their status amongst the, their colleagues. So to my mind, trust and shame was one of the key findings that we made. And this doesn't necessarily uh, give us any stats yet. It just speaks to the fact that we are working with people. Um, our users are real people with real problems that we are trying to um, to meet at the point of their needs. So, for example, we found that 40% of the people we spoke to openly admitted to not feeling confident working with their money. And in reality, this stat is probably significantly higher. Other respondents thought that it was okay to borrow money from a loan shark. So just over a third of our respondents felt that it's okay to borrow money from people who would ask them exorbitant fees. Could you dive um, on those fees? We hear about um, payday lenders and, and machinistas you know, taking advantage of people, but what, what's it like on the floor? What are the actual rates that are going on? It's astonishing. If you want to borrow a hundred rand at the beginning of the week, you might be charged between 30 and 50 rand for that hundred rand, which you seek immediately. So 
If you can, if you, I mean, anyone can do the calculations. And that's just for one week. So they're paying, you know, 30 to 50 rand for, for one week's worth of borrowing a hundred rand. I mean, that's, that's crazy. To most people, it doesn't make sense, right? But this comes back to the culture of shaming. When you are desperate, you will do anything. You will go to any length to get that money to put uh, food on your table for your family by tomorrow evening. So you've got, People borrowing, you know, um, hundred rand and paying back one hundred and forty or one hundred and fifty rand at the end of the week. How do we know how literate these consumers are? You know, they seem to think it's okay to do this. Tell me a bit more about the questions we're asking them and how we're working out just how how literate our consumers are. Sure. So one example is uh, where we ask our users if they had a hundred rand and they put the money in the bank and there was an interest rate of ten percent per year. How much would they get out? It's a relatively simple question, right? Well, only over half of our users got this question right. Now, it's when you're working on the ground with real customers that you realize how important financial literacy is and how this ties to wage access and creating a better future for everyone. So we've got users who don't understand basic financial literacy terms. We've got loan sharks taking advantage of them. I mean, it's clear the problem is massive. Um, where do you start when it comes to thinking about building out an education solution that actually resonates with the people who need it the most? I think it starts with being obsessive about understanding our customers to the very core. It's about putting yourself in their shoes and understanding their circumstances to the best of your ability. Our mantra is getting to know our key customers so that we can really focus on their needs. We've spent hundreds of hours getting to know our customers, whether this be in person, over phone calls, questionnaires, whatever the format, we are consistently seeking feedback from our users. And importantly, we allocate a lot of our time trying to do this, gathering data, and as much as possible, so that we can create something that is actually relevant to the lives of the people we are serving. And for me, it really comes down to how we can best serve our customers. So you talk about serving our customers and you talk about building something that's that's impactful and that means something to them. But what does that actually mean when you deliver the solution? How do you deliver it? You know, how is it different to maybe how other people are delivering it? How are you, I guess, taking the feedback that you receive uh, and making it count? Unlike conventional education providers who often opt for an app or a website, we have found that very few of our users actually have data when they need to register for our product. Now, we delve deeper by taking this into account and providing our services through our other uh, varied methods such as WhatsApp and USSD. Now, even though people have access to WhatsApp and it seems like the easiest route, right? We find that the majority of our users actually find us through USSD. Now, these are some key findings. I mean, when you are seeking to tailor uh, your product to someone's needs, it's absolutely central and absolutely pivotal to understand the, the very real life circumstances in which our users find themselves every day. Now, as to our methods, we've gathered over 6,000 data points that all relate to our users' behavior, 
the circumstances they find themselves in, and the sort of trends they follow when it comes to learning. In other words, we take our core customers seriously. We want to learn from them so that we can then tailor teaching methods that suit their learning preferences. We're also striving to deliver education in multiple languages, ensuring that everyone has access to an education solution. Thanks, Rizal. I think that, I mean, it's it's clear that there's multiple ways to do this, but it's finding the right way that's super important. You know, there's so many companies trying to solve this problem. And as I said earlier, there's no one that seems to have cracked it. Uh, I'm going to change tack slightly. The, the UN has set out this bunch of sustainable development goals. And, and one of those goals, in fact, it's goal number four, is ensure inclusive and equitable quality education, promote lifelong learning opportunities for all. It's ambitious, but it's not impossible. Can you tell us your approach to learning in light of uh, the SDGs and, and how have you done things differently? How uh, are we going to achieve what the UN has set out to achieve? My focus is always the style of teaching you employ, the language you use, and that obviously centers around pedagogy. Um, when we think about our core customers, we need to bear in mind every aspect of their uh, personhood. So we need to make our learning narratival and contextual. You know, in South Africa, we've got oral cultures where, where stories are being relayed, um, where histories are being retold. So this, for example, is a key, narrative and context is absolutely key when we think about learning. We also follow an agile approach. So as I've said quite a bit earlier, it's this constant flow between ourselves and our users. And we, we take this engagement seriously. We constantly analyze our user responses and we produce content that addresses their circumstances. We spoke a little bit about financial literacy early on, um, but financial literacy is this term that's thrown around and is talked about, but no one really understands. What do we mean when we speak about financial literacy and what does that mean in the context of financial inclusion? Financial literacy, to my mind, can mean different things to different people. But in terms of the methods that I employ and the goals that we strive towards, financial literacy pertains to three things. Access, so we constantly ask ourselves, is the product or the service we provide accessible? Is it readily available in the format that best suits our core customers? Secondly, usability. Does the tool that we use resonate with our users? Is it in a language and a style and a context that is relatable to their lived realities? And then is it inclusive? Do we use different delivery methods that ensures that all are able to gain from what we're offering? Now, if we can address financial literacy in these three ways, we begin to address financial inclusion, which is ultimately defined as giving people equal access and equal opportunity to financial services. When we help people understand the basics of financial literacy, we're taking our users one step closer to financial inclusion. Uh, the ability to make an impact is is inspiring. Rizal, lastly, I you know you're the head of education at SmartWage. You're building a pretty powerful education tool. What distinguishes what you're building from everyone else? My first reaction is my passion for people and for their circumstances. 
For someone stressed about where the next meal is going to come from, it's tough trying to explain to them why lending money from uh, Mashonisa is wrong. Now, I joined SmartWage because I have an appreciation for the fact that not only must we speak to someone's education needs, but we must also speak to the very real problem of not having access to your money. So there's this dual responsiveness that really triggered something for me. Now, one phenomenal thing is once we provide financial solutions with no strings attached, our users trust us. They trust us not only with their financial situations, but also then, and importantly, with their learning. Thank you, Rizal. I mean, it, it really is. It is all about trust uh, and making sure you're building products that your users trust, um, which ultimately leads to, to a better experience for everyone. Thank you for providing some, some really deep insight into, I guess, how big the problem is, what financial literacy means in, in the context of financial inclusion, how you're thinking about solving it uh, one data point at a time, and how hopefully this leads to a, a more financially inclusive South Africa. Thanks so much, Simon. It was such a pleasure to be with you here today and to talk about things that I'm really passionate about. Thank you, Rizal. In our next episode... We'll be looking at what the innovators in the space are doing in the US, the UK and Europe and what we can learn from them. We also dive into why the way you get paid is about to change and the entrepreneurs behind the revolution.